Welcome back to Start Mindsets Podcast, uh, episode 20. I believe we have super, super amazing guest. Meet Gark has run the gauntlet here in Silicon Valley. Um, I like to think that he's done, you know, Silicon Valley home run, having gone to Stanford, founded a company, worked at Norwest Ventures, as well as Samsung uh, Next uh, Ventures. So founded a company called uh, Health IQ. Currently, Amit is uh, working very hard on his own. He's managing partner of his own venture capital firm called Tau Ventures. Amit has, you know, a really great story and I've known him for over a year now and it's uh, been just great being friends with him and uh, seeing the work that he's done. So without further ado, Amit, uh, happy Monday and welcome to our podcast. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Dan and Earl. Uh, it's uh, such an honor and a pleasure to be with you guys and uh, kudos for uh, what you've built here with Startup Mindsets. It's pretty awesome. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for that. And, um, you know, I think what we'd love to hear first from you is uh, about Tau Ventures and, uh, you know, um, the work you do there as a VC? Sure. So Tau Ventures is a seed-first, AI-first fund uh, in the heart of Silicon Valley. We are in Palo Alto. Uh, we're focused on three verticals, digital health, enterprise, and automation, which is a reward for cars, robots, etc. Um, and the thing uniting these three verticals is artificial intelligence. So uh, my business partner and I, we have been uh, entrepreneurs, operators, and investors for almost 20 years. And uh, we've noticed that AI is now at an inflection point. Um, you don't necessarily need a PhD in order to take AI and apply it to solving very big problems. So our focus is, obviously, there's lots of opportunity for uh, folks building AI, but we are focused on people who are applying AI. And uh, AI is for us a horizontal rather than a vertical, a, a similar to what happened maybe with cloud or with mobile 10, 15 years ago, or even with the internet 20, 25 years ago, right? Uh, some examples of companies we've invested in, um, we have uh, a number of companies in the oncology space. So we have a company that's helping detect cancer early using computer vision uh, called Iterative Scopes. We have a company that is helping develop antibodies for cancer and for COVID by using machine learning to identify biomarkers. We have another company that is focused on identifying the right kind of cancer, the right kind of drug to treat the right kind of cancer in dogs, and therefore creating a large database of drug responses that can be eventually leveraged for human beings. This one is called PhytoCure. Uh, in enterprise, you have an investment in uh, a company that's helping protect your social media data, your personal information on the web, which is a big problem. Um, in automation, we have a couple of companies focused on uh, producing food in a more automated way. So uh, robotic arm to make smoothies, that's an example. Um, and in general, as seed investors based in Silicon Valley, uh, we're investing right now in the US and Canada, but we're very friendly towards teams that might be located uh, globally. So in many of our companies, uh, the CEO is based in the US or Canada. That is something that is, is a, for now a requirement for us but part or most of the team being in another country, that's totally fine. The go-to-market being in another country, that's totally fine. What we're focused on, though, is that the company's eventual bigger focus be U.S. and Canada, just because it's the markets we understand the best, where we have built our careers. Um, and I'm happy to get into more of the story of how we built the fund yeah. uh, and, and, and our investment thesis overall. But I wanted to pass the word back to you, uh, Dan. <laughs> appreciate that um that's that's a great way to you know look at vc instead of saying vertical horizontal i think that's you know really cool um and 
a better way to look at things, in, in my opinion. You know, I, I think it'd be cool just to go a little bit chronologically and, you know, rewind the clock and take, go back into your shoes when you first landed in, in Stanford University. And uh, I know you're from Brazil, right? But you also have some Indian roots, too. When, when you first came to Stanford, uh, we're doing a chapter on, like, environments. Um, you know, we, 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 everyone, everyone knows the story of uh, somebody from that school who's gone on to do a lot of world-changing things. But when you were there, did, did you envision your career like this? Or did you, you know, have these big aspirations that you've been able to accomplish? Or was it, uh, did that, that school, or did, the, you know, your time there really uh, make all this possible? Do you think it would have gone differently had you gone somewhere else and received education somewhere else? Um, Dan, uh, <laughs> um, I think I have a lot more to do still, so I'm very honored here that you think uh, aspirations. A lot of it is aspiration still, a lot more to learn and do. Um, so I think what the question you're asking is uh, uh, a pretty big question is, um, do your how much do your past choices decide your current path right it's like had i gone to a different school or had i gone and worked at a different company i worked at google for many years or um had i been born and raised in a different country like how much of an effect would that be i think the answer is absolutely there is uh for sure um your, your your past opens up and closes some doors for you in your presence and therefore creates some possibilities for the future. Um, having had the privilege, honestly, of going to Stanford uh, does mean that I was more exposed to startups, to entrepreneurship, to the this incredible ecosystem that Silicon Valley is. Um, had I gone to another place, you're right, I think it would have been harder. But I don't think the answer is impossible in any ways. Um, and I think uh, the world has become flatter. It's not flat, but it has become flatter so that um, no matter where you are, um, you have much more access uh, to information, much more access to people, much more access to capital. Um, so the, I, I like to think of it this way, that uh, not everybody can be a great entrepreneur. Not everybody can be a great venture capitalist, but great entrepreneur or a great venture capitalist can come from anywhere. Um, so I, I, I think some paths are easier than others, but it's always achievable. Uh, and to go back to your, your uh, first statement, uh, I am actually born and raised in a small place in Brazil. Um, my parents immigrated there about 50 years ago from small places in India. Mm. Uh, and I was born not in uh, one of the metropolises of Brazil. I was born in uh, a, the capital, a, a, smaller capital of a smaller state. Um, so not in the core, but in the periphery of Brazil. Uh, it's become a much bigger city since. Um, but um, I think uh, there is something to be said about uh, uh, finding the right set of people along your life who will give you just the right kind of guidance, just the right kind of push, and also being willing to seek those people out and to working hard to get there. So it's never one answer. It's all of the above. Man, that's that's really uh, a lot of words of wisdom from you. I also did some background research and realized or found out that you uh, built a hospital in India, right? Uh, I did, I did. Uh, you did your homework. Uh, yeah, I think it's the one thing I've done in my life really worth talking about. So I'm I'm really mm. grateful you brought it up. Um, so when I was a freshman uh, in college, I, uh, for a variety of reasons, decided to pick up my backpack and. 
uh, go to rural India. And uh, this is very deep rural India, uh, not where my family's from. And I lived and worked in villages there, uh, went from uh, place to place in Eastern India. And uh, I speak the language fluently. Uh, so I was able to really enmesh myself into the community. And I saw tons of problems. Um, I saw um, somebody die in front of me. My host family got malaria. I uh, saw children uh, who had had polio, who couldn't afford uh, a wheelchair and were, you know, dragging themselves uh, on a made up uh, wheel cart. And um, it's, it's the kind of things that I felt was the worst of humanity. Like we, we have all the means to solve these problems. And uh, I felt that uh, if I'm not trying to be part of the solution, then I am myself a part of the problem. Um, so when I came back to college, uh, my second year, I decided to start doing something about it. And I took over a student organization. We started um, training more of my classmates to go volunteer in this region. Uh, ended up sending about 40, 50 people over the course of four or five years. And the organization is still going on. It's been picked up by successive um, generations of students. I was not the founder of this organization. I'm grateful to the original founder who I inherited it from. Um, and we started doing some fundraising. We ended up uh, helping build a library, helping build a high school lab. And then eventually we decided to take it outside of college and built a full-fledged nonprofit, uh, which is what it is today. It's called Hospital for Hope. And we decided to tackle the biggest problem we think we thought we could tackle and try to solve it, which was healthcare. In this particular region, um, just to give you one statistic, the infant mortal mortality rate is 70 births out of 1,000. And that is about 10 times larger than the average for the country of India. So we thought that we could make a meaningful difference. We partnered with an organization there and we crowdfunded. And I'll shorten the story here a little bit. I've written a lot more about this, but uh, we ended up raising enough to build a hospital that's now operating for about wow. seven years and serves a local community of 100,000 people. Uh, we have about 350,000 followers on Facebook. And uh, anybody who's listening to this, if you want to learn more, uh, please go to our Facebook page, uh, Hospital for Hope, uh, or to our website, which is hospitalforhope.org. Gotcha. Yeah, that's, that's seriously one of the most philanthropic uh, things I've you know, heard from somebody. But uh, that, that journey, you know, it's, it's not easy, right? Like, you know, you, you, I'm, I'm assuming that you had to pitch a lot of people to raise that money. And um, maybe, you know, you got 20 no's or I mean, just, just more like, more like multiply them by a thousand, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then that's really similar to, you know, how you raise the venture fund and maybe, you know, fundraise for startups or different um, things in uh, your life. Right. But, uh, you know, me thinking about, you know, what would be similar would be we're getting re rejected from that amount of jobs. Right. Um, you know, when you, when you, did you ever think of quitting or did you ever think of, uh, I don't want to do this anymore? I mean, where, where did that grit and that hustle and that, uh, I'm not giving uh, Yeah. So, uh, I've, I've at this point raised uh, money for a startup, for a nonprofit and for a venture fund. And all three of them are fun in their own ways. Um, the word fundraising has got the word fun in it, which is... Uh. <laughs> Very ironic way of saying that fundraising is a journey. Uh, it absolutely is a journey. Um, and I think uh, it's nothing that other people haven't said before, Dan. Um, uh, if it was easy to do um, um, or whether it's hard to do, it doesn't mean that it's not worth doing, right? Like, yeah. uh, 
I'm not saying that only things that are hard are worth doing. There are some easy things that are very much worth doing. Um, but just because it's hard, it doesn't mean that you should not do it. And in fact, I would argue that some of the things that are the most worthwhile doing are the things that are the hardest to do. Um, so for me, it was always the fact that there is a vision here, a mission, more than even a vision um, on, on why to do it. Um, and uh, building a startup or building a venture capital fund, I also bring that sense, same sense of mission. Um, and the mission is far more than um, doing good or doing well. It's one and the same. That's what I think about it. So it's far more than making money. Uh, look, I, I, I think making money is very important. And I, I went to business school uh, to supposedly the, the mecca of capitalism. Um, and I think that uh, making profits is one very powerful way of making a difference in the world. I'm, I'm a, um, a big believer in capitalism. I think it is broken, but I'm a big believer in it. Um, but I also think that there is a place to do things based on a mission. And if you approach your business with a sense of mission, and if you approach your nonprofit with a sense of, uh, with the rigor of a business, I think there's lessons on both sides. So that's what I tried to bring. Uh, in terms of grit and perseverance, I think that's what it goes back to. It's um, anybody who has done anything hard will tell you that they did it because at the end of the day, they thought that they could do it. Um, that, um, you know, there's a quote out there that victory at the end of the day doesn't go to the one who is the fastest or the strongest. Uh, it goes to the one who believes that they can win. So um, yeah. I believe that we could succeed. And therefore, I was willing to work for it. Yeah, that's, that's seriously you know, really inspiring. Uh, Earl, you got something? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I mean, I think our, our, our listeners here would definitely appreciate, like, you know, what is your career journey, right? Like, I, I kind of after Stanford, going to, uh, you know, Google, to VC, business school, would love to not just understand, like, your journey, but also the why of what, why you change certain careers. Because, you know, we also see a lot of people that stick to one, right? Which is like, you know, I'm going to be like a banker and be banker like for 30 years until I retire or someone doing, let's say, you know, um, being in technology. But you've had this really interesting portfolio of experiences uh, that, uh, to be honest, uh, is, is something also we see from uh, amazing people, uh, amazing entrepreneurs that have the startup mindset. So tell us more about your career and, uh, you know, how did you think about shifting and taking these risks versus just taking like one path that may or may not be, you know, maybe, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of um, as, as good as maybe doing a portfolio of experiences. Yeah. And Earl, um, uh, what you don't see or actually anybody almost sees and um, pretty much only I know it's all the things that went wrong. Ah. Uh, I, I like to say that uh, the, the, everything that I have done that hasn't quite gone the way I wanted to, or has been just absolutely a failure fills volumes. And it's a book that only I pretty much have read. Uh, and that's, I think, true for most people. We see um, the tip of the iceberg of people's careers and their lives, and we don't see everything behind. Uh, so, uh, you know, I want to make sure to emphasize that, that um, the portfolio that I've taken uh, was maybe by design or maybe by, by circumstance, uh, or in somebody else's case, where they decided to double down or triple down on one particular path. Mm. In both those cases, there's thousands of things that didn't go quite as well as 
you know you were expecting. Um, so with that said, uh, for me, uh, I, I always have have had broad interests. I mean, growing up, people would ask me, "What's your favorite subject um, in school?" And I would answer them, "What do you mean? I like all of them." So um, I've always been the type of person that that uh, um, you could joke is a professional dilettante, but I don't want to be a dilettante. I, uh, you know, try. You can't be a master of all trades, but I don't want to be a jack of all trades. It's there's some happy medium. So it's been a concentrated portfolio, um, if I may say that. It's if you think about uh, where I've done, I I actually studied to be a, an engineer and a doctor, mm. and at some point I decided to choose. I, I've tried combining both of those, but going to Google for work, I kind of picked the technology side over the medicine side. And then um, going from technology into startups and then into VC and then into back into startups and VC, that has been a concentrated portfolio. And I think that there's a happy medium. If you do too many things in your life, then you end up learning a lot, but perhaps at, at a very superficial level. Uh, and if you do one thing, very well, you will be the world expert in it, but you may not get a well as much of an exposure. So I tried to strike the balance that I thought was the best for me. Um, what I'm doing right now uh, as a VC is in some ways uh, a, a reflection of my personality because I get exposed to a lot of different things. I'm every day being paid to learn. Uh, but at the same time, I'm doubling down on a particular skill set here, which is to find really good innovation and really working hard to help them succeed. So um, it is at the team. It is once again a balance of of being broad, of being wide, but also having depth. Um, and uh, finally, to answer your very specific question of uh, yeah. which which option to go for, um, I have a bit of a bias that if you are in technology, if you are in Silicon Valley, and if you are in you know earlier stage of your career, you're probably going to hold multiple jobs in your life. In fact, the average I think is about seven different jobs in your life. I've heard uh, that. It's very different from uh, what my parents at least were from other parents, right? My parents have held a single role their entire life. They've been professors for over fifty years at different institutions, but still the single role. Um, I think that still exists in certain professions. But if you are in technology, and especially if you're in Silicon Valley, chances are you will hold multiple offers, multiple jobs, multiple roles, multiple careers. And uh, I am in some ways a product of the ecosystem I live in. Uh, so I've embraced it completely. That's, that's really amazing. I think to, to get into another question here is, uh, you've, you've, you've worked on the ground up, um, uh, building your own company, right? With, with like Health IQ and maybe some other things in the past and you know, also mentioning the um, nonprofit that you started. Um, but when these things get medium sized or, you know, uh, you know, a startup is maybe in, in a lot of people's eyes in Silicon Valley is like something that is extremely scrappy, but you know, once you get that infusion of capital, uh, does your mindset change? Uh, I know you worked at Google, right? Like when, when, uh, I think you were like the first 3% of employees or something like that. I, I looked that up. Yeah, I joined, I joined when Google was still, uh, maybe less than a thousand people, uh, before it had gone public. So it was still... Hmm. A, a, a large company, but it was still a much smaller company than what it is today. Lucky Building, by the way, or you know, I'm the, sorry, were you ever in the the Lucky Building, one of their first offices? 
well, I think you mean the original campus. Yeah, I spent the bulk of my uh, my first two years was in the in in what was then the campus. Uh, it was it was the four buildings uh, in, that is sort of the heart of of, of Google. Oh yeah, yeah, I've, I've been there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so so I guess what I wanted to ask is, you know, you've seen I guess the growth of Health IQ and maybe even you know as a venture capitalist at Norwest or. Um, uh, your other fund that you were at, um, you've seen these things scale. Uh, do you maybe per, from personal experience or, you know, what you've seen is the mindset different when there's, you know, an infusion of funding versus when there's just an idea and, uh, on the back of a napkin type of thing. Sure. 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 And let me pick up one more point, Dan, that you mentioned. I think it's, uh, something I feel very strongly about. It's, uh, it's never one person, um, you know, I, I cannot take credit, uh, full credit at least, for any of these things you mentioned. I, I take different degrees of partial credit. Uh, Health IQ, for instance, owes far more to my co-founders than to me. Uh, I undeniably have been a, an important part of this story, but um, my co-founders who are now running the company have undeniably done far more than me. Um, and uh, same thing for Tao Ventures. I owe so much to my co-founder and to our own investors, and to our entrepreneurs, and to our co-investors, and to, um, you know, allies in the ecosystem, you two included, uh, Dan and Earl. So um, you, you take different degrees of credit. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, I think, uh, what Isaac Newton said, right, like, uh, the reason I was able to see so far is because I stood in the shoulders of giants, right? So I've been uh, privileged to stand on the shoulder of many giants. And uh, I think one one thing, one responsibility that I have to myself and to others is to provide that shoulder for other people to stand upon. Um, so now going to your question uh, specifically is uh, what is the difference between being basically a PowerPoint versus being a product, right? Uh, the difference between being perhaps a pre-seed company versus being a seed company. Um, and uh the difference is, is uh, I wouldn't say night and day, but the difference is uh, non-trivial um, because it becomes real. Uh, it Typically, when you have, you know, two or three people working in a garage without any funding, um, you're shooting many ideas and trying to see what works. Um, at the end of the day, you have two or three people working on it. The moment you get funding it's because other people have believed in your vision and they have been willing to give their capital to you. And the capital carries with it credit and that carries it with it conviction, right? It carries with it that, hey, I'm giving you something here because I believe in you. Uh, so I think that conviction fundamentally changes culture. And you will notice that I'm being onomatopoeic here, alliterative here, right? C, 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 right? It's, <laughs> capital credit conviction um you know I'm, I'm doing it somewhat on purpose here but uh the point is when you um when you put something from a piece of paper into reality uh to me that's when you become a real company uh once again with the letter c um and eventually you become hopefully a corporate a corporation right so you can continue growing from there uh but let's not forget culture in this whole process i think uh the the culture fundamentally changes when you go from pre-seed to seed and eventually when you hit series A, which is a product market fit. Um, and you have to grow that culture accordingly. The mindset with which you come in 
when it's, you know, two or three people in a garage and the mindset that you have when you have thousand people working, there are different mindsets. They need different processes. They need different kinds of governance. Um, and you have to be able to adapt. You have to adapt your own uh, co-founders, your own employees, your own company to that level in order to succeed. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm picturing that in my head and it seems like, you know, a long journey of like five years and trying to picture five years of just work in, in my head is pretty, pretty hard to do. Uh, it's an, it's typically an overnight success that takes 10 years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, let's, let's, let's switch gears and, uh, you know, chat about venture capital things. Um, you know, with the hit of coronavirus, uh, VCs or founders, they generally, you know, would prefer not to meet in person anymore. And a lot of VC is, or I mean, a, a good portion of VC was, you know, meeting people in person and getting to know them and before making an investment, you know, building that rapport with the person. Um, now, you know, maybe things are all virtual on Zoom. Do you feel like um, that has affected the investment process in a negative way or what's your opinion there? Well, there's certainly downsides, Dan, uh, I, but uh, there's also pluses to it. And on the uh, overall, uh, for me personally, uh, I, I say bring it on. I, I have been, I obviously don't like the underlying reason why we're all virtual, because it means that the world is going through a very uh, tough time with the pandemic. But um, the fact that I can do meetings more efficiently um, the fact that I don't have to drive and uh, <laughs> the other person doesn't have to drive and um, the, it's also become a little bit more cost effective because we don't have to uh, do coffees and lunches. We're much more uh, efficient about these meetings. And I, I'm wearing uh, a jacket today. I don't know if, I guess you can't see it in a podcast, but I'm wearing it sort of on purpose. Uh, this is a company I invested in five years ago and um, it's called Mutonomy. Uh, self-driving car company that was mostly in Singapore, uh, U.S. company, U.S. founders. And uh, I did the seed and it was sold two years later for $450 million. Uh, It's a remarkable success. It was almost a 10x and um, they are now LPs in me. They invested in me. Congrats. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm very um, honored by that and must have done something right for them. Um, <laughs> the, so the the uh, CEO of the company is a, a, a LP. Uh, but anyways, uh, the biggest point here is that I did this investment virtually, um, fully virtually five years ago. Um, I did ask a lot of questions. Um, uh, the CEO has written about this publicly, jokingly, so that's why I can cite this, uh, that um, I did my diligence. Um, I didn't lax in, in, I didn't go lax in discipline just because I couldn't meet them, but I did not meet them in person before making the investments. And we have, at Tau Ventures, uh, adopted the same philosophy. We have done uh, a number of investments this year. Um, we're coming up to now seventh investment this year that we have done fully virtually. Um, and uh, in most of those cases, I did not know the founder or the team before. Um, but uh, I think it helps a lot, the fact that I, I could triangulate uh, very quickly. Um, either somebody I trusted made the referral or and or uh, I, I had multiple phone calls with them. Um, and I talked to their previous investors in some cases or their existing investors coming in into this round. I talked to their customers. Um, so I, I did the homework. I was able to do 
a disciplined approach, write up a deal memo, put in about 50 hours worth of work before making the investments. Um, so just by the fact that I couldn't meet them in person was not a barrier. Obviously, I would have loved to meet them in person also, but it was not a barrier. Um, so I know that a lot of VCs have different takes on this. Uh, we are probably on the furthest edge here of being very comfortable making virtual only investments much before the pandemic, continuing to be very comfortable and actually looking forward to being able to continue doing virtual only investments moving forward. Um, it is not a requirement for us. It's a plus, but not a requirement to meet somebody in person. That's, that's really, yeah, I, I wish I looked at uh... The way the way you look at that, I wish I, I would will will now you know apply that to to sort of other things in the pandemic too you know um, just I mean maybe in general like uh, hanging out with friends <laughs> you can't you can't sure. right so that, that's that's super uh, okay. hey Amit uh, just super quick question like I mean did your investment thesis change or at least you dived in a little bit more in certain areas of your investments like criteria versus kind of before the pandemic. Uh, because yeah. you can't meet them in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Earl, um, I actually um, write a lot. I think you guys, um, at least Dan, I know, looks at those articles. And uh, I've been posting in for years and, and get syndicated in a bunch of places. Uh, and one of the articles I wrote is exactly on that topic. Uh, so if anybody is curious, they can go on my LinkedIn and check it out. Um, the short answer is we did not change our investment thesis. It's We were excited about the themes before the pandemic continue being excited about those themes. Um, we thought there was a lot of opportunity in digital health. We continue seeing, if not as much, actually more opportunity in digital health. And same thing for the themes in enterprise, like cybersecurity and tooling and automation, like food automation that I mentioned earlier. What has changed for us is how uh, we look at those opportunities, not what. Um, when we're making an investment, previously we would look for uh, run rates of uh, runways, I mean, of, you know, 18 months. Now we mm -hmm. value if a company has a runway of 24 months. So we want to make sure that the companies are being a little bit more conservative with their cash, either because their burn is low or because they're raising a little bit more. Uh, but we want to make sure that they have a window of 18 to 24 months, 24 months ideally. And then the second thing is we uh, syndicate the rounds. Uh, seed stage, I like to say it's far more collaborative. Late stage becomes far more competitive. Um, so at the seed stage, you're trying to delever the risk by having other good VCs in with you, at least one other. And we've played both roles where we brought in somebody else or somebody else brought us in. And we like to see another VC who we respect. Uh, and we are not a huge fund yet. Uh, yet. Um, so if the other VC is a, a VC who is larger, who has more funds, uh, that is obviously a plus for us also. So we give that a little bit more of a value. Um, once again, those two things are not hard and fast rules having a little bit more runway and having another VC that uh, has bigger pockets, but it's things that we give the company a little bit more uh, credit for. Um, but otherwise we continue investing in the same themes. What we have noticed with the pandemic, at least in the US uh, and maybe even globally is that valuations have come down a little bit. Um, um, you know, it's uh, just to put some specific numbers here in the US seed rounds have you know, historically been maybe 12 to 15. We are noticing they're trending now on average more like 10 to 12. Um, and I think that that is uh, actually 
less of a downturn, more of a correction, um, because I think the rounds previously were, not all companies, but were in some cases higher than they should have been um, based on metrics that VCs have historically used. Um, And then the other thing is um, rounds are taking a little bit longer to to get completed. Um, So, you know, on average, once again, this is a very rough average. It may have taken companies one to three months to close a round from start of conversations all the way to a final, final close. And now we're noticing it's taking them a little bit more, like closer to three months, sometimes four months. So there's exceptions to all of the things I mentioned, but in general, that's um, more refreshing. Uh, as a VC, it means that uh, people are being more disciplined in making their investments. And I think that at the end of the day, uh, that is overall better for all of us because that means really good companies are getting funded, well-funded, after people have really gotten to know them well. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely great insight. Uh, a few more questions here, at least from my uh, side. Um, uh, how, you know, with uh, the lack of, you know, in-person gatherings, um, you know, similar to like maybe that event that we, we were at like a year ago, uh, do you see that there is more deal flow or is there less deal flow sharing among the venture capitalists? And- yeah, you would think that it's actually less, but uh, our experience has been the opposite. My, my deal flow has actually doubled in, in size. Uh, and part of that is because um, we're more efficient, right? Like previously I could do four or five meetings a day. And now I can actually do eight or nine calls a day. Um, so in that sense has, has, has been just more efficient, but the other thing I think maybe more specific to us is, uh, we are just over a year and a half, almost a year and a half old. So, um, you know, the more mature of a fund you become, the more people know about you, the more exposure you have, the more publicity you have, the more thought leadership you have, the more deal flow you start getting. So maybe that's a little bit more specific to us. Mm -hmm. Um, something else that's perhaps more specific to us is, um, Unlike many very established VC funds, we don't have large portfolios that we have to um, keep capital in reserves, right? We are keeping capital in reserves, but it's not like I have 100 companies or 50 companies that I'm saving 50% of the fund. Bottom line, what I'm saying is I have more capital to deploy. I have a lot of funds still to deploy uh, in the future. So that means that given that some funds have taken a step back, those funds that have taken a step forward end up getting obviously more deal flow. Uh, so we are very much in business, we're more well-known, and we have become more efficient. Those are the three reasons. Our deal flow has actually doubled. Um, my run rate is about 1,000 companies a year. My run rate right now is 2,000 companies. So I am not worried at all about um, deal flow. Uh, I think what has reduced um, is um, perhaps serendipity. Um, and serendipity was the 20%. For us, 80% has always been thesis-driven, target-driven, relationship-driven, and yes. 20% was something random happened. That's what serendipity is. So the serendipity has gone down for sure, but the targeted has increased so much more that it hasn't been, uh, it has been a net positive, at least for us. Yeah, I love love how you uh, brought that point up. Um, do you have anything else, Earl, or or do you have another question? Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I think um, we, we have a uh, you know maybe ten minutes or so left. Uh, you know, I'd love to know. You know, I mean, like, what's you know, you know, our 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 listeners always are curious on 
you know, kind of the origin story, right? Like, you know, where did you, I mean, because based on all these conversations, you're probably one of the most dynamic people that Dan and I know, right? Uh, you know, just a lot of insight here. Where did this come from? Tell us more about your childhood and how did you get, you know, this type of mindset or this type of thinking? I mean, just, just the, the mere fact that you, you know, you said, I'm going to go to India and build an organization to help people there. That is not normal, right? So where did that come from? Like just this entrepreneurial spirit you have. Oh boy. Uh, uh, I'm very flattered. Uh, but once again, Earl, I think I have a lot more to learn and do. And I think that's the mindset. It's, uh, I think there have been um, countless people who have done far more than I have. So I have a lot way to go. Um, and uh, I, I don't think it's in any ways uh, my childhood is um, exceptional or anything. I, I, I think the, the difference uh, comes from um, being always eager to learn. Um, uh, it's, it's always being willing to, to know that there's a lot more to know and that um, there's always room for improvement. Uh, there's no such thing as perfection. If you've achieved perfection, I think you've failed because that means that you, you have stopped believing you can always be better, right? So um, you may be happy with where you are. In, in, in some ways, I'm happy with many things I, uh, where I am. And in some ways, I, I, I wish I can be better, but I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never going to achieve 100% in anything. Um, and I think that's the growth mindset. A lot of people have talked and written about this. Uh, I think it helped that my parents are professors that uh, inculcated those values into me. Uh, it helped that um, my mom especially taught me two languages at home. So English is not my first language. I grew up speaking Hindi at home and Portuguese on the street. So English is my acquired language. Uh, but she taught me Hindi and English at home in a place where, um, you know, there was nobody else who spoke those languages, really. Uh, it helped that uh, we were immigrants, uh, perhaps. When you are an immigrant, you t I think you two can probably relate to this also. Your families mm -hmm. um, come from somewhere. Uh, I think most people in the U.S., within living memory, uh, have, have somebody who came from somewhere. Like, everybody at some point came from somewhere, but it's more recent in the U.S. Um, so I think that also helps. I think... Uh, finding good mentors all throughout my life. It could have been a teacher in school. It could have been that neighbor that you looked up to who did something. It could have been that person you met in your India uh, uh, nonprofit work. Uh, all of these are real examples, by the way. My high school teach English teacher, my the partner, the the founder of the nonprofit that I ended up partnering with. So all of these uh, examples of folks, um, like all of this, ends up shaping who you are and. Uh, then the last thing is perhaps adversity. Uh, I've been through my sh fair share of adversity myself. Uh, I think um, some people haven't, uh, uh, but many of us have. Um, so I think when you go through adversities um, throughout your life, uh, it, it, it makes you uh, perhaps more grateful for what you have, but also more conscientious that, um, you know, you have... X number of years in your life, right? And you got to make the best out of it. So uh, I, I actually like that quote from Lord of the Rings is uh, all you can do is, is use the time that's given to you, right? So um, I, I, I think I've had that mindset for a variety of reasons, all of these signals that I mentioned, and, and they just keep coming together. And I need reminders, by the way. I, I, I forget about mm -hmm. these things myself. So you are not right now reminding me of, of those things. Um, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think it goes uh, 
I could say the same. Um, but, uh, you know, I think I want to do something cool uh, that I just had an idea to do on this podcast. And it's, uh, if you ever heard of like um, something where somebody says this word or that word, uh, we'd just love to, you know, um, I guess uh, do that. And uh, just, you, you'll pick a word um, out of, out of <laughs> it's, it's really simple. I'm making it, making it a little bit complicated, but it would just be like, so, so, stand, so if I were to pick two, two um, different topics and you just pick your favorite or something like that. Sure. So, so uh, first one is uh, Brazilian food or Indian food. And I pick food, well-cooked <laughs> food, um, because food that, was, that was made healthy, that was made with care, that is fresh, uh, because uh, I think any food made like that, no matter where, which cuisine it is from, it's good food, and food that's not made like that wouldn't be. So I know I'm cheating your rules, Man, you... I'm picking option three. <laughs> no, no worries. Any answers? Almost, uh, you're welcome. Um, next one is Stanford or Harvard. Um, both. I know once again, I'm picking, but uh, Stanford for me as an undergrad was a better choice because um, it exposed me to Silicon Valley. Um, and then for me, uh, I did go to business school at Harvard. That was a better choice. I know Earl that you're biased. Uh, <laughs> for, you, for you, obviously, Stanford was a great choice. And uh, But for me, it gave me a different exposure, right? So um, it, for me, that order was the right choice. That's, that's great. Um, next one is Apple or Android? Um, I use an Apple uh, these days, but previously I was using an Android. Um, my previous employer, Samsung, uh, is obviously um, using Android on their phones. And my previous, 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 previous employer is actually the owner of Android, Google, right? Um, the world is effectively an 80-20 world. Uh, in terms of Android and Apple. In the U.S., it's a 50-50 world. Uh, I think they both have their place. Uh, I personally use Apple these days uh, because I am just very used to my iPhone and I enjoy the hardware and software integration. Um, but Android, as a software-only platform, I think it's incredible. Uh, but I think, so I am sort of not trying to cheat your rules anymore and say that I do prefer the Apple because of the hardware and software angle. So I'm not judging them because of only software. Yeah, yeah. I think one or two more here. Um, next one is, uh, what did I write down? Um, being a venture capitalist or a startup CEO? Well, that's like asking, do you want to be a coach or do you want to be a player? Um, they both have their roles in helping win the game. Um, so if you want to score goals and, and be known for it, go become a player. Uh, and if you appreciate the process of helping everybody achieve all that that can be right, uh, um, if you if you want if you're if you like the role of being um, the 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 person be somewhat behind the scenes, then be a venture capitalist. Uh, they both have their pluses and minuses, and I have tried being um, combining them because in early stage, you are a coach who is almost a player. Uh, because you have to be very hands-on, and we believe in being very hands-on, uh, to being actually on the playing field and helping. So um, I am obviously by my choice now a venture capitalist. I am uh, chosen that line of work, but with a very heavy elements, very, very heavy elements of being an entrepreneur. I'm running my own fund. That is being mm -hmm. an entrepreneur in of itself. Yeah, that, that was about it. Earl, you got something else? No, no. I mean, I think we only have a few minutes here. So two last questions, uh, Amit. One is, um, if you had to give your 20-year-old self advice, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? 
Uh, and then the last one is any book resources that you would want to share to our listeners? Um, well, uh, advice to my 20-year-old self. Well, I keep discovering so many things as I continue growing as a person, getting older and losing my hair, uh, that I didn't know or hadn't thought of before, or even maybe I had thought but had disregarded. Uh, and keep discovering new ways and new uh, uh, paths ahead of me. So I think the advice of the 20-year-old is um, everything you're thinking on right now will not go the way you planned. Uh, <laughs> everything that you're thinking you will be will not happen. Um, but that is not what is important. It is important how you do those things. It's, uh, I think to me it's what you do is, is important, but how you do it is even more, far more. How you do it, you can do anything in your life. You, you, you can be very successful and very happy. The, the how is far more important. Um, and um, I think the, in terms of books, once again, there's a lot of wisdom and a lot of fun in, in so many different types of books. I love reading. Uh, I, I think courtesy of the pandemic, I've been almost on a book a week these days. Um, and I, I, I think uh, uh, it's, it's in some ways, uh, I, what I recommend is, if you're passionate about a particular topic, go deeply into it. Read as much as you can. Debate it. Engage with others. Uh, I, I like to read a lot of nonfiction. I like to read a lot of stories of companies and people, how they did it, why they did it. Um, so I've, I've read, I think, even just this year, um, uh, you know, Steve Jobs' biography, Elon uh, Musk's biography, Jeff Bezos' um, um, how the stories of Uber, Twitter, Facebook, Google, uh, a lot of things related to my profession, right? Uh, because that gives me a lot of case studies on what could go well, what doesn't go well. And I think um, uh, seeing what's possible. Uh, I mean, these are all companies and people who have uh, changed the world uh, and that are continuing to change the world. So there's a lot I can learn from them. So um, what, what, what I recommend to anybody who's listening, who is interested in entrepreneurship is you know, pick up the story, a well-written story of, of somebody you look up to. Read it. Uh, I think you will uh, end up learning a lot. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Amit. Um, if uh, people ever want to, you know, reach out to you or pitch Tao Ventures, uh, they, they, they'd uh, just message you on LinkedIn or you want to put your... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to conclude here. Dan and Earl, thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been a very fun conversation for me also. Um, and as far as reaching out for Tao... Uh, we do seed investments, applied AI in digital health enterprise automation uh, in U.S. and Canada. So anybody who meets those, um, that criteria, you're obviously welcome to reach out on LinkedIn. Uh, if you have a uh, warm introduction, that's uh, obviously better. Uh, but we do read everything everybody sends. Like every single cold email, cold call, etc. we do read them. Uh, <laughs> we may not respond to all of them because we just cannot do justice to everyone uh we do follow up if it could be a fit um but uh rest assured we do check everything that that's amazing and i, I think that's all we had for you today and you know it's been an honor man and uh you know looking forward to more great things and uh thanks for helping us with the book and um yeah be safe and um you know if you ever want to reach out or just chat about whatever we're, we're here right so. that does it for another episode of star mindset's podcast if you liked what you heard Check us out on Instagram at Startup Mindsets Podcast. We recently made a Twitter, so follow us up, follow us at Startup Mindsets. Um, it's been a pleasure and you know, great journey talking to you guys. Um, 
would definitely love to make this podcast a little bit more interactive. So if you have any ideas, comments, or questions, message us on one of these social platforms and we'll be sure to get back to you. Uh, Be well and um, thanks again. Peace.